welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. Excited to have another episode out. Um, I don't want to jinx myself, but I I think we're getting into a groove here. So uh, before we jump into our discussion, I do want to give a couple updates as to what's going on here on the farm. We've had had a a transport. Well, (laughs) I can't say transport. We had an attempted transport of one of our boars down to our sows and using a system that has worked for me before didn't work so well. So... um, yeah, I think we actually did a video on our YouTube channel about it. We were having an issue getting Squealy Dan to get in the trailer to you know, drive down the valley to get released in with the sows. And um, wouldn't you know it, the after four days of putting food out to lure him into the trailer, uh, on the fifth day, just getting aggravated, I just left the gate open. And he walked all the way down the valley and walked right into the with the sows. So, well, you know. There it goes. So um, what I've seen over the past week is very good evidence of his ability to at least deliver the package, if you know what I mean. So uh, he's um, he has uh, mounted two of my three sows, uh, one of which is actually the oldest sow, Merida, which she hasn't settled in a couple years. And you may wonder, why do you have to keep a pig on the farm that doesn't settle, doesn't do anything? Yeah, I know, I know. You get to the point where you have one that's too smart to get on the trailer, and then it kind of just becomes a pet. So I have a feeling Merida's going to live out her days until she keels over, and then I have to drag her up on the hill and let the crows have her. <laughs> I, ain't, I ain't digging a hole as big as I need to put that pig in. <laughs> but anyway, totally derailed that conversation. So yeah, so we've um, we've got some breeding going on now. We are breeding later in the year. You guys may be wondering, hey, isn't that kind of late to be breeding? Doesn't that mean you're going to farrow in January? Yes, that does. Um, it is kind of where we're going to be with farrowing. Um, I'm, I'm trying to get on a schedule where we're going to be processing our pigs in September, October, and these pigs are finishing out around eight to nine months. So I'd like to um, I'd like to have that lined up. But uh, as far as keeping them uh, warm, we've got our farrowing barn, we've got our creep area, and we'll be adding heat to the creep area there. So we should be okay when it comes to those issues. And um, yeah, I've, I've talked to a lot of you on, uh, on this podcast, and some of you do that as well, where you actually prefer to farrow in the wintertime when you have the infrastructure because the creep heater allows the piglets to go over there to hang out and reduces crushing potential. So they, they roll back to mom when it's time to nurse, but they hang out in the creep area when it's uh, time to just chill and take a nap. So um, so we'll obviously detail as we go along. We'll see who settles. Um, he's Like I said, he's bred two of the three, and I believe the third uh, sow, she, she should be coming into heat here hopefully in the next week or so. But we'll do updates as we go along. Oh, speaking of updates, don't forget, check out the pasturedpig.com website and our Facebook group, The Pastured Pig. Uh, got some discussion going on there it's, uh, from time to time. So the group is growing daily, it seems like. So if you haven't joined that group, by all means, please do so. And uh, what else? Oh, uh, Patreon. Obviously, don't forget about our Patreon support. I do want to, one, one thing I have not done, and, and I apologize to you supporters, but um, 
One thing I've not done is given shout outs. And I'm going to go down the list real quick um, in the order of those that have been supporting for the longest. And I really appreciate every single person on this list. And um, yeah, wouldn't be able to do what we're doing without that support. It's, it's allowing me to justify the expenses, the time, all the stuff that goes with hosting a podcast and, and going through all those steps. So I want to give a shout out to Noah, to Chet, to Fritz, to Nathan, to Jed, to Delaney, to Chuck, to John, to Jesse, to Bill, to Adam, Rob, Tina, Bonnie, Chris, Jason, Davis, Eric, Michael, Brad, Jesse, John, Kelly, Laura, and our latest edition, if I can read my own writing, is Verna Flower Farm. So I, I don't know if that's her name or if that's the, the company, but anyway, uh, so we, I really appreciate every single person on that list. Thank you so much, those of you guys that are supported, and I appreciate the feedback, and I'll, I'll give a shout out to Noah again. Noah does a good job of telling me when uh, something doesn't sound quite right or I've messed up, because he's, he's Johnny on the spot on that, and I really appreciate that, and I apologize to you people for having these audio mistakes here recently, but um, <laughs> when you think you got things ironed out, it's like right right when I started recording this bumper, I'm like, why is my audio not working? I've got my headphones on, everything's running, I can't hear anything through my headphones, and realized I was wearing the wrong headphones. <laughs> I keep two sets. There's a set to one side that's for one purpose, and a set to the other side that plugs into my uh, my my head unit, my uh, uh, Scarlet. That's what I record all my audio in for podcasts, and uh, that's the reason I couldn't hear it. I was wearing the wrong headphones. <laughs> so, so to say it's operator error is a, is a gross understatement. <laughs> All right, well, let's carry on. Today, we are going to go in kind of a little different direction. We're going to be more topical and instead of you know, visiting a specific farm. But instead of just me yakking at uh, you guys through the abyss of the podcast, I invited somebody who I've gotten to know really well over the last year or so. And I've uh, been, been able to be down on his farm. Uh, Chuck invited us to come down and be a guest speaker during his pasture pig workshop and really appreciate that. Really enjoyed that. It was great meeting, meeting him and his crew. So I invited Chuck to come back on uh, Sheridan Park Farms. If you guys, uh, you know, he's, he's been on the podcast and it's been a while since he's been on. He was one of, um, I think he was in our first 20 or 30 episodes there. He was up near the front of that. But I asked Chuck to come back on because we're going to talk about specifically the the topic of castration and get into the details, the gory details of why, when, how, and of course the complications, the pros and cons, and what the national and international community is doing to um, possibly eliminate castration or to change the entire process. So this is something that I, if you guys farrow on farm, I want you to keep in your mind. Actually, even if you don't farrow on farm, you're getting feeders. Uh, most likely you're not ordering feeders that um, that are intact. So uh, this will apply to all of us. If some of these European laws and, and Australian laws, New Zealand laws, if, if they end up coming over to the States and taking hold, then it's something we're going to have to be wary of. So uh, keep that in mind. But uh, we're going to hop into this conversation, and I'll catch you guys on the tail end. Instead of talking to a farmer about their setup, we're going to talk to another pastured pig farmer about a process that should be, um, I don't want to say near and dear. How would you say that, Chuck? Is this a process that's near and dear to your heart? 
Well, I don't know that it's near and dear to my heart, but it's one of those things that we have to do. So, uh, you know, it's just just the way it works out. Very good. Very good. Absolutely. It's one of the necessary evils, if we can call it that, on the farm. And, And that topic is castration. So, man, there is a lot, lot of discussion around castration, the pros and cons of it, the alternatives to it, the humaneness of it in the processes in which we do here in America. So we're going to take some time to dive into that. And, and what I've done is I've recruited Chuck Lewis from Sheridan Park Farms out in North Carolina. And you guys, I'm sure, are familiar with Chuck. Uh, he's been on the podcast before. You probably are familiar with his uh, YouTube channel. He's got some really good content out there when it comes to pastured piggery and, and kind of all things pasture. He's, he's got the gamut covered there. So, uh, Chuck, first of all, welcome. How are you today? Man, Troy, I'm good. I really appreciate the invite. Thanks for, uh, thanks for including me. Very good. Well, very good. I just, you know, you were the first guy to come to mind and, and Chuck and I have, um, we've spent some time together. He, he had me down at his farm and I know you guys have heard that on the podcast that they were doing a pastured pig workshop on their farm. They do a lot of education on their farm and I really, really like that. So they take a lot of time to, to set aside their farm. Well, they don't set it aside to sell to be done, but to figure in how to do all their farm work while still putting on these educational uh, events throughout the year. So um, I'm obviously going to put some links down below in the show notes. If you want to, if you're not familiar with Chuck somehow, uh, then you'll be able to find him and see what he's got going on there. But uh, Chuck, real quick, tell us uh, for those people that maybe don't remember and they're trying to connect the dots um, or maybe they, they have, they're new to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about Sheridan Park Farms first. Sure. Yeah. When, when, uh, when you and I talked, gosh, What's that been? Maybe two years ago now, Troy, when yeah. we done the initial yeah. uh, podcast with me? Yeah. yeah, it was about two years ago. Um, yeah, so at the time, we were on 20 acres down in the central part of North Carolina, and since then, we've actually sold that farm and moved into northwestern North Carolina, kind of where uh, my wife Sonner and I are originally from. Uh, we've got 70 acres right here at the foot of the Blue Ridge Mountains. We raise uh, chickens for eggs, chickens for meat. Um, we do some turkeys. Uh, we do some beef cattle on our farm and, of course, uh, our favorite uh, pigs. And so we do uh, we're kind of a farrow to finish operation. We uh, we do some uh, artificial insemination and breeding uh, farrow on pasture. And then we uh, raise those pigs out and process them. And we do a lot of direct to retail uh, <clears throat> cuts with our customers. We do holes, halves, uh, you know, like we tell folks, we'll sell you a pack of sausage or we'll sell you the whole pig. We can package it any way you want. So that's, uh, in a nutshell, that's what we do. Yeah, yeah. So that that key point of, of moving to the new farm, I, I didn't get to see the first farm, but I saw the one they're on now, and that is a gorgeous tract of land. I tell you, I am... I am. I'm jealous of the pasture you have, uh, the water you have, the basically, basically all the lay of the land. I, I know I'm not supposed to be jealous, but but it really nice setup you have there. Love that building too. The the building that he uses. What would you call that? Was that your catch all workshop? Because we've done cook. You've done cooking in there. You've done education. You do some of your video work in there. You you do everything in that building. Yeah, that's yeah, that's kind of that's kind of farm central. We've got a forty by sixty shop building that was here whenever we bought property. Um, and we use it for a little bit of everything. We do. We've got storage in there. When I tell folks when we first moved, it looked like a Goodwill had thrown up in there. We had tools and clothes <laughs> and TVs and everything, right. everything stored in there. Uh, and since then, we've got everything cleaned out, and we use it primarily as a shop. So we take equipment and tools and things in there to you know do repairs and just general farm maintenance. And then we've got some storage, and then it works out great for like the classes. Uh, it's a perfect classroom. We can fling the doors open. Uh, we can shut them, turn on a little bit of heat. 
Uh, it's not a, it's not an insulated building, so it doesn't get warm. We can knock the chill off. A uh, good place to just have, we've had some family gatherings in there. It's just, it's kind of farm central for us. Yeah, it's nice, nice, very, very nice. And, and uh, the proximity of where it's located on the farm, yeah, it does, it does kind of feel like it's the uh, hub of the wagon wheel pretty much. So yeah, very yeah, cool. Sure is. So, um, well, let's do this. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into our topic. And I'm sure as we get into specifics, then will um, will people be able to glean more information about your farm? Because uh, as as uh, Providence would have it today, the day that we scheduled to do this interview and to discuss castration, uh, tell everybody what you and Sandra were doing this morning, Chuck. Yeah, so um, our local community college, Wilkes Community College here uh, uh, about 25 minutes down the road, they have an animal science program, and uh, we have befriended some of their instructors. And one of their instructors gave me a call a couple of weeks ago and said, hey, would there be any way you guys could do a castration demonstration on some piglets? And I said, sure, we'd be glad to. And so we just just by, by happenstance, we had uh, four uh, about eight-week-old piglets. So we went up there this morning, and we uh, we caught a couple of them and put them in some, uh, some dog kennels, took them down to the community college and done a castration demonstration for their uh, intro to animal science program. So, um, yeah, we've, we've still, we've still got blue coat and, uh, and, uh, betadine on our hands from, uh, from the castration this morning. <laughs> so, so this is definitely fresh on Chuck's mind when we did this. Yeah. This topic. <laughs> yep. So, sure. yeah, I'm, I guess I don't want to go down this rabbit trail, but first thing I think of in, in what you just said is I'm picturing, all of you out in the pasture trying to catch up four eight-week-old piglets. How did that go? So actually, it went pretty well. We, you know, and, and that that really could probably almost be an entire podcast episode sure. in itself for uh, on weaning. We've tried a, a number of different ways um, on the best way to catch piglets when it comes weaning time. And quite frankly, what we found um, over the course of about two eh, 10 days to two weeks before we're ready to wean those piglets, we'll start putting a little bit of feed outside of that single strand electric mm. um, where those piglets and the mamas are at. And so the piglets kind of get used to coming outside and uh, you know, getting a little bit of, getting a little bit of feed. So what we do is we just take our, our little stock trailer that we borrow from a friend and just back it right up. We feed the piglets outside. Uh, we go over and feed the, feed the mamas in the paddock where they're at. And uh, while those piglets are eating, we'll just kind of come up behind them and grab that hind leg, uh, snatch them up, um, and put them up in the trailer real quick. The mamas are busy eating. They hear that initial squeal. Everybody looks up, looks around. We get the piglet in the trailer as quickly as we can to get that squealing stop. And the mamas just turn right around and go right back to eating. I mean, it's it's pretty clean and works. Uh, it works really well. It works better than, you know, trap doors and, and catch pins and that kind of thing. We just, it's, it's simple and it's effective. Oh, that's great. Excellent. Very good. Yeah. That's, that's worth a video right there on the, on the channel for sure. All right. So, yeah. um, whew, that was, that was a little hot there. Sorry about that. Uh, so let, let's do this. So what is, you know, I, I know that most of our audience listening knows why castration of piglets is different than castration of other ruminants, but Chuck, I'll let you take this first topic. So why is it, I'm sure you've run into this, when you talk about castration to people that are vaguely familiar with farming or maybe they've farmed in the, in the past and, and the first thing, what's the first thing they say or what's, what have you run into when people know you're going to castrate and they don't fully understand that pig castration is a surgical process? What do you run into there? 
Yeah. So a lot of people just their their question is why do you do that? And you know we try to um, go in and, and provide some explanation on you know the the purpose and the reason why we do it. And you know there's a number of reasons why we do it on our farm. Number one. Um, we're trying to avoid unwanted pregnancy. Um, you know, we're in a we're in a part of the country where we try to be selective about when we're farrowing piglets. We certainly don't want to we certainly don't want a sow farrowing piglets during the coldest part of the winter, January, February, March. Uh, so, <clears throat> first thing we don't want intact males that are here that are impregnating females. Whenever we don't want that happening. And second, and you know, this is probably the the primary reason why we why we do castration. We're, you know, we're a production farm. We're currently processing about 60 pigs per year, and we sell those direct to retail to the customer. Um, there's a lot of discussion around bortane, and, you know, we can get into that uh, in a little bit more detail here in a few minutes. But for us, um, it's just not worth the risk to process uh, an animal, sell that to a customer, and then a customer not be happy with the product because of a, a smell or a taste. Yeah. And so... We just want to make sure that we're producing a high quality product that customers can enjoy. And for us, castration is a quick, simple process. Um, you know, sometimes whenever we're weaning piglets and we're doing castration, we'll castrate 15 or 20 at a time. And just because we're selling those products direct retail, it's just not worth the risk to have a product that potentially could have bortane on it. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think that's, I think that's dead on. And yeah, we are going to get into taint uh, a little bit further in this discussion, but I, but I think you made a really good point there, especially as a production farm. When you look at a, a when your process includes selling individual cuts to people, we're not talking about a hey, one boar got sold to one person as a whole pig. And that person's upset because everything they fry up just really smells funky or has a bad taste to it. We're talking about in your situation where you guys sell cuts, you could have a, a boar be disseminated in sausage and, and hams and, and pork chops disseminated across you know tens, if not hundreds of customers. So you could really get your business turned sideways real quick with one interaction of taint. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> you know, we do we, like, for example, our sausages, we do 50 pounds of, of uh, sausage per flavor. So if we actually had a boar that went through that had taint, you know, and we decide that, you know, we're going to grind the majority of that animal. It wouldn't be out of the question for us to have 100, 150 pounds of sausage um, that had a, that had a, you know, a bad smell or a bad flavor to it. Yeah. And, you know, you, you stretch that across 150 customers and, you know, word of mouth in this business. Uh, I mean, that's king and word of mouth can be good or, or you know, you can have some detrimental uh, outcomes for that because folks, you know, say, hey, don't go buy off this guy because his sausage smells like it's terrible yeah um and that can be a real damager to the business so again for us it's just you know it's just not worth the risk yeah i agree i agree and i and i, and I want to add to that i i think there's another element i it's not something to really run into a lot but i think it's just best practices but another element is when it comes to basically just herd safety you know if you've got you've got a decent sized herd and you've got a, a lot of intact males as and depending on on your breed and, and how long you keep them uh, on pasture 
that as those guilts start to develop sexually, and the boars, even even prior to them developing sexually, I always say before they can actually pitch, they're going to be in the batter's cage taking some swings, and you know, but um, mm-hmm. and and that can become an issue of of um, injury. So yeah, the boars can be uh, too aggressive to the guilts, can start to um, you know, knock them around a little bit. You can have some injury there. You could have stress, additional stress from the from the, from the boar and from the guilts that are uh, that are being raised up in that litter. But then also to the farmer himself, <laughs> you know, a boar could, uh, you know, has a tendency to be a little bit more aggressive to the handler in that situation. So castration can eliminate a lot of those things. So, you know, there's, there's no sexual maturity elements there. And then, of course, uh, the aggression could be minimalized. Now, I haven't done a, I haven't done a side-by-side comparison of that on my farm, but it obviously makes sense to some degree. Yeah, and we've, and we've actually seen that. We, uh, you know, historically, we had done a lot of AI. We had decided to try to use some intake males, and we had some management issues, and we, we lost out on some breeding opportunities there. <clears throat> but that was one thing that we really did notice. When those – we would have the boars separated from the females, and if we had a female that was coming into heat, um, love finds a way. <laughs> and we were having – we were having a lot of breakouts um, and either boars going to going to the females or the females coming to the boars. Um, and so that became, you know, another management challenge for us. Yeah. Another issue you know, in terms of safety, we have a lot of visitors on our farm. We have a lot of folks that want to come by and, you know, they're coming by to, uh, to purchase product or do a farm tour uh, or, you know, whatever the case may be. But we have a lot of kids around and, you know, it, that's another thing. We just can't take the chance of someone getting hurt because we have an intake male who's a little bit aggressive. So again, it's just, you know, there's a lot of reasons that we elect to, we elect to castrate those males. Safety is a huge one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good stuff. Okay. So let's talk about this. So uh, again, I know, I know most people listening know this, but castration of a pig is a surgical process. This is not a banding process like we would have with ruminants, you know, your sheep, your cows, your goats, you're, you're not going to be just taking a small tool and a rubber band and, and banding it. And then you know, a couple of days later, uh, just double checking on that. This this is a surgical process, so this does involve a scalpel, a knife. You know, there is cutting involved. There is blood, of course. So that's why it's a it's a little different. And, and sometimes people don't fully understand that that's the process that needs to be done, uh, and can't understand why you just can't band a pig. So. So we're going to get into discussion a little bit about the actual how, the details, and Chuck's going to kind of share how he does it. I'll share how I do it. Obviously, there's there's multiple ways to skin that proverbial cat, but let's first start with when. So Chuck, when do you castrate your piglets? So we elect to castrate our piglets at about eight weeks, and we do we kind of do an all-in-one day uh, for those piglets. So we wean we castrate and we worm all on the same day. The reason that we do that is we, we only want to stress that animal one time. Hmm. Um, and so at eight weeks, we will, uh, we'll go in and we'll catch those piglets up, pull them off of their moms. Like I was uh, kind of describing earlier, we'll take them to another part of the farm where we've got a weaning slash training pen set up. Uh, and then we'll take those piglets out of the trailer. Uh, the females will get a worming shot uh, and then they'll go over into the training pen the boys, they have a little bit more adventure uh, with us, and we'll pull them out, do the castration, give them their first worming shot, and then they go over in. Yeah. Again, for us, it's it's stressing that animal one time uh, as opposed to, you know, doing castration at, you know, I, I think some folks will do it at two, three, four days old. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, no, certainly no problem with that. Um, we just elect not to do that. We yeah. do it all in one. 
Yeah. So, okay, so, so let's stick a pin in that because this is where, you know, first of all, Kelly would absolutely punch me in the nose if I waited till eight weeks and had her involved in castration process because uh, she, she stresses her out when we do, we do ours at seven days. So at seven days old, mm-hmm. we're snatching up all the, all the little boars and, and similar process. We grab them, put them in a transport. Um, basically, it's just a big crate on the back of the side by side and take them down to my workshop where I have a little surgical setup there. And, and, uh, and then we castrate and then, of course, release back in. And then you know, we wean and deworm uh, at, at the eight-week mark. So I, I definitely understand and appreciate and would, would definitely appreciate handling it once versus twice. But um, in my experience, man, an eight-week-old pig is like, is like wrestling a – it's like trying to put a sweater on a seven-year-old man. It just ain't going to happen very easily. So, so, um, so let's talk about your process, the actual process. So, when you catch these things up, how are you subduing the piglet in order to actually make your surgical cuts? Yeah. So, real quick before I get before I get into that, I've got to tell you a real quick story about our very first castration. Uh, we had bought some male piglets that had not been cut, um, and it was one of those things you've never done it you fret over it, you worry about it, sure. and you just essentially end up putting it off. So the very first pigs we ever castrated were about 12 weeks old. Mm, wow. Uh, and that involved that involved uh, me, uh, my uh, Saunders brother and Sandra. And, and I would not recommend that. Don't don't let those piglets get to eight, get to that get to that age. Uh, at 12 weeks, um, it really almost becomes a two person job. Uh, at, at seven days. Yes. I think one person could probably do it, you know, without, a, without much problem. So what we do is, um, we will catch the piglet up by the hind legs, um, with, uh, its belly basically fa- facing me. Uh, I'm usually the guy holding and Saunders, the person that's doing the surgical work. And that's, yeah, that's a little bit concerned to have a wife that has that particular skill, but that's a story for another time. Uh, <laughs> Watch what you I'll, say, right? <laughs> yeah. Got to walk the line. Uh, so I'll, I'll, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, minding, minding your P's and Q's around her. Um, so I'll, I'll catch that thing up by the hind legs with its belly facing me. Uh, and then basically I'll just swing it between my legs and we'll uh, put it on its back on the ground. And frankly, I sit on it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's not putting all of your weight on it. It's just enough to control that animal. Um, any of you that's picked up a piglet, uh, by the hind legs, you know, those things can feel like a washing machine out of balance. Um, and whenever you get them on their back, that's the last place a piglet ever wants to be is Absolutely. on its back and not on its feet. Um, so I just basically put it, you know, hold that thing down, uh, kind of between the inside of my legs. We'll take its hind legs and just push them down toward its abdomen, mm-hmm. and uh, that will help to express the testicles uh, uh, kind of towards the rear end of the piglet. Uh, and then Sandra will, uh, you know, from that point, she'll reach up, pull the testicles up manually with her hand through the skin, uh, and that's how we that's how we start the process. Yeah. Do you find do you find it's helpful? And, and maybe this is more of a question for Sandra. Obviously, you're you're there watching. But do you find it works best? So as you and I love what you said, you pushing the legs, the hind legs forward will express the testicles up more. Um, yeah. Because you know, that's again, everybody listening, I know probably have seen pig testicles. So we're, we're no, we're not talking about a sack hanging down. We're literally, you know, two little you know half walnuts sticking out that you've got to got to um, got to reveal. So when you push those hind legs down, it expresses the testicles. 
And then as you, you know, I usually take my uh, thumb and forefinger and try to get in the front and back, but uh, not as not only am I lifting up, but kind of moving, moving back. I try to move back towards the anus as much as possible just to, to try to avoid uh, hernia and, and knock on wood I, and all the castrations I've done. I've never had a pig develop a hernia. Do you guys find little techniques like that to be helpful? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that also brings up another good point. We, we before we, uh, start the castration on that uh, on that animal we'll look at its abdomen and evaluate and see if there's any sign of a hernia is there any bulging or is there anywhere that it looks like that the abdominal wall may be weak and you're starting to get a little bit of of, uh, of intestine through there if there is there's a couple things that we change sometimes we'll elect not to do that we'll elect not to castrate that animal and we'll process it you know much younger kind of as a suckling pig mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing and not let it reach sexual maturity but that's one thing we do is we, we evaluate that animal before we do the castration to make sure that we're not um, potentially getting ourselves into kind of painting ourselves into a corner yeah but yeah pulling those testicles uh, back towards the anus with just a little bit of pressure it really brings them up to the top of the the top of the skin and and makes them much easier to identify yeah very good so what do you do as far as sterilization uh, cleaning uh, prep prior to making your cut do you do anything there yeah so we use a little bit of iodine uh you know we just get it over the counter at at your local drugstore walmart uh wherever just a brown bottle of iodine and uh, we'll just you know put a little uh put a couple of squirts around uh on the scrotum of the iodine we'll make sure that we're covering all the area where we're going to be um, doing the incision and then we use a um we use a, a utility knife uh, just a cobalt utility knife and we always trade out and put a brand new blade in right before we start the castration process um it's it's quick it's easy they're very sharp they're easy to change out uh, and it's something that you can just toss in your egg bag and just have it with you everywhere you go yeah Good deal. Good deal. Yeah, we like I say we do the same. We use the, we use iodine and uh, you know, a couple liberal squirts. Um, like I said, in the area there, uh, I usually you know wipe down because it seems like all my piglets they know that castration day is the day to roll in the mud. So we we tend to have to um, to oh, yeah. clean a little bit more. So we're we're wiping down and and with that iodine getting in place. And and I get um, from our local feed store they have really cheap. Um, it's a cheap as in expensive, you know, not expensive. They're actually decent quality surgical steel scalpel uh, blade replacements. Mm-hmm. So similar thing, a fresh one, make sure you have a good one in there so you can make your cuts clean and you're not dealing with a rusty knife. But yeah, I've seen old timers. Uh, my neighbor, he used to, he used to grab one leg and sit him like you said, and, and just whip out his pocket knife and bang, bang, he was done. So, so yeah, whatever you're proficient yeah. with the, 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 I guess yeah. One tip: if you've never castrated before, the one thing I always say: if well, I guess if you've never, if you've never cut animal flesh before, the one thing you never want to do is be indecisive and saw or you know do you know light little just light little strokes. You want to get in there and do it. And so, what about that, Chuck? What about the pressure when you're applying pressure to actually make the cut with your utility knife or your scalpel? Uh, how, how would you describe you know, what you're trying to cut through, how far you're supposed to cut, the length of the cut? Yeah, so that's uh, that's one thing that we found that you, you've got to you've got to uh, be kind of cognizant of mm-hmm. because that that pig's that piglet's skin is tough. I mean, it's I mean, it's not it's not it's not like human skin. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's pig skin. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a little <laughs> like bit a more football, of a substantial thing. <laughs> yeah. Like a football. Exactly. Yeah. 
So when we bring that testicle to the stock to the top, um, you know, you've got to apply some pretty firm pressure to actually get through that epidermal layer, that outer layer of skin. And then what we're looking for is we're looking for a, 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 a there's a, a thin membrane that covers the testicle. And we always make sure whenever you've got that piglet uh, on its back and you're looking at its scrotum, you'll notice there's a there's a dividing line right down the center of that. And so we're going to work on one side and then we're going to go to the other side. And by putting a little bit of pressure, it brings the testicle to the top. Um, we cut, like you said, you've got to be decisive. You can't ease into it. You've got to make a, make a decisive cut on that thing. Usually it takes about two cuts. Uh, the first one through the epidermal layer of the skin and then the second one through that membrane that, uh, that holds the testicle in. And then by continuing to hold a little bit of, of firm pressure on the top of that scrotum, typically, if you've got your, your um, incision long enough, and I, you know, we usually go for about an inch and a half, two inches, um, that testicle will pop right out, kind of like a zit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, then, and then once that thing pops out, uh, we just grab a hold of it and just pull it with a nice firm pull. Nice firm pull. That will um, erupt the spermatic cord and also the, the artery in the vein. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're done, ready to go to the other side. Okay, so you make a good point there, and I know there's there's actually some debate about this. So, so you guys are a pull or tear technique versus a mm-hmm. cut technique when it comes to the uh, to the artery, and you just said it, and it totally slipped my mind. The, the spermal um, spermatic cord. Thank you, spermatic cord. Yep. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's why, that's why I love talking to EMTs. They know all this stuff. So, um, of course, are, are you technically an EMT or is it just Sandra that's an EMT? No, yeah, I'm, I've been a paramedic okay. for this year will be 30 years. Okay, yeah. I thought so. I thought so. I want to make sure I wasn't overstating that. But, so, yeah, so the getting back to, to either tearing or pulling that or actually cutting it with a scalpel. So, so why, Chuck, in your experience, is it better to pull and rend those two, uh, those two elements there versus cutting through with a scalpel or a knife? Yeah, so whenever you pull, particularly the artery in the vein, um, that uh, immediate trauma to it will cause the artery in the vein to withdraw and constrict. And what we found is we have a lot less bleeding post-procedure whenever we do that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I learned that. I, I was kind of guy that uh, I thought, well, you always got to cut. Cutting's cleaner. Cutting's cleaner. Just cut. And so the first couple times I cut... And then as I got into this more, it's like, well, people are, people are tearing. Why, why are they just pulling and tearing? And then, and then seeing that firsthand that, yeah, it's, it's, and what it's explained to me is that a, a cut is almost too clean and that the, the, the <laughs> yeah. piglet's body doesn't react as well to, to heal and to, to, uh, to scab over in that process or to start to, to um, heal from that, that cut, that the tear actually is the proper I don't know if that's the right term, proper form of trauma, that it's going to actually introduce healing faster than the cut. So the bleeding is going to be much, much less. Yeah, it it reduces the amount of hemorrhage. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So, so what you've done, you've made two cuts, you've extracted the testicles, you've, you've, you've rent them free. What do you do next? Is there anything you do to, to close? Do you, do you wrap up with anything? Do you treat before you turn them loose? Yeah, so the next thing we do is we spray uh, an, anti, an antiseptic um, spray onto the, uh, onto the incision sites, and we pick up just a general, it's called blue coat. Mm-hmm. Um, we pick it up at the local feed store. I think they also make it in red coat. Um, but, yeah, that's, a, that's kind of a, it doesn't really seal, but it's more of a, you know, it's more of an antiseptic mm-hmm. kind of antibacterial spray that we put on there. Because when you put those piglets over in that, uh, over in that weaning pen, after they've had their uh, their testicles removed, 
it seems like the first thing they do is go drag their butt right <laughs> through the mud. I mean, that's the first thing. And I guess, you know, I guess they're trying to, you know, find some kind of relief to the, to the discomfort that they feel. So, I mean, they're going to instantly kind of introduce, you know, all kinds of dirt and mud and mm-hmm. bacteria and poo and all that kind of thing into those incision sites. So we try to give them a little bit of a head start and put a little bit of uh, that blue coat. It's an antiseptic antibacterial on there and it, it seems to work great. You know, it's interesting you say that because I I was doing the same thing and I actually switched from doing that. Stop putting blue coat or doing any post-treatment simply because, uh, I again, I had heard or it was, was suggested to me that, well, the blue coat or anything you put on is, is it's a stinging. It's like, you know, alcohol in a wound type of thing. So it's going to make them mm-hmm. drag their butts in the dirt. And I got to say, I, I think it's... I don't know. I, I think it's you know farm legend type of thing, like an urban legend that that I think a piglet, if you just cut him open, he's going to drag his butt around no matter what. Because I haven't yeah. really noticed a difference. Oh, yeah. And uh, and then so so yeah, we with that pre cleaning of iodine, as long as the blood has has subsided, we usually what I usually do is since I'm in the workshop, I've got this big crate, so I usually put them back in the crate and let them hang out there for a while, let them chill out, take a little mm-hmm. nap, and and it seems like they 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 seem to heal up better. And then you know, maybe an hour or two later, turn them loose back into uh, with the, uh, with the other pigs. Yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't never thought of that or, or ever tried it. I mean, that, that, that may be something we give a shot to is castrate and maybe put them back in the trailer and kind of let them hang out there, you know, for, uh, you know, 45 minutes or an hour before we move them over into pen. That's a, that's a, that's a good idea. Yeah. The only reason, and, and again, man, it's just, it's things that you hear or things you think of. And, and, you know, I, the way I'm wired, it's like, I think of every possible negative outcome and it's just like, okay, if there's blood hanging off these pigs, there's a chance that, you know, there's going to be cannibalism because they're, you know, put them in with the mamas and the mama's like, Oh, my pig's injured. Mm-hmm. I gotta, you know. So it's like, okay, I really want to make sure the blood has, has uh, subsided before we, um, before yeah. we turn them loose back in there. But in that situation, you're weaning, so you're already separating from the sows anyway. So, Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, w- w- so we've talked about um, we've talked about the process. We've talked about the age in which w- we recommend uh, castrating. But I mean, you can really castrate. There's there's some guys and gals that have told some stories on this podcast of you know castrating year old boars and that type of stuff. Now, I don't have the guts to do that kind of stuff. But I've I've you know, heard stories of where they back them into a corner or or actually force them into a corner nose first and hobble them and, and sit there with a scalpel and cut it. But I just couldn't imagine. I mean. I, my boars are a couple years old, and, and we're not talking about little walnuts at this point. We're talking about softballs. <laughs> we're talking about oh, yeah. massive reproductive organs here that if you're going to start cutting on something that big, uh, on an animal that big, then there's going to be ramifications. So not only is it a a task that I would not want to take on, uh, uh, castrate on an older boar, but just the safety issues for the boar itself. I mean, hemorrhaging and, and infection are all that's just going to be amplified the older that boar is. Would you agree? I would. And, you know, that's that's certainly not something that, that I would be willing to take on. And, you know, like I said earlier, we had done some 12 week old piglets and I wouldn't even recommend doing that. And I've heard the same thing. I've heard some old farmers talk about uh, castrating those older boars and then feeding them out, you know, for another two to four weeks and that that eliminates bortane and, and maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, I don't know. But I think if you were going to, if you were going to castrate a, an adult male pig, I really would rather have a veterinarian do that where they have got, you know, the, the, the tools and the equipment and the anesthesia, because, you know, that animal really needs to be, um, that animal needs to be sedated. I mean, yeah. I, that could, you, you start thinking about a 350 or 400 pound pig um, and you're cutting on his, 
cutting on his junk and he turns around and decides he's going to do something about it you're at his mercy and that that could not be a good outcome for everybody no no nobody nobody wins in that circumstance for sure not at all yeah, yeah. And, and, and you talk about anesthesia and we're going to get out of here in a second but um yeah i think of i think of farmer anesthesia i i had um uh, one of our sows a breeding sows she had a, a split hoof and i wanted to really get a good look at it so i i got her um I got her a six pack of Natty Light, and she she enjoyed that, and and kind of flopped down there and let me let me do those type of investigations. But I don't I don't know how much beer it'd take to get a full size boar drunk to be able to cut his balls off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it would take a lot. I would yeah. I would imagine yeah. it would take a whole lot. Yeah, that may have to be a keg or something. I'm not sure about that. Yeah. yeah. Well, all right. So, um, well, let's do this. So, yeah, we we've danced around the boar taint discussion, but let's let's go ahead and dive into that. And so, if in the the rest of this conversation, I don't want to say I'm playing devil's advocate, but I'm going to reference a document. And if I can get my camera or my computer to wake up here, it helps if I'm using the right one. Uh, I want to reference a document from the American Veterinarian Medical Association. Now, this document's actually from 2013, so it's almost. 10 years old but it talks about the it's it's the welfare implications of swine castration and it's a it's a real basic document but it has tons and tons of references and i will link to that in our show notes so if you guys want to take a deeper dive into some of this then you you'll uh, be able to reference that and do so but i want to read this one sentence here and this is first footnoted out the wazoo so it's talking about boar taint uh, it says, Bortane is an accumulation of compounds, and I'm going to slaughter these names. I should have you read this, Chuck. You're better at this than I would be. Such as uh, scatol and androstenon in meat of intact males that cause an unpleasant smell and taste that is released when the pork is heated. About 75% of consumers find meat from boars objectionable in comparison with meat from castrated males. And then I found this interesting as well. The prevalence and intensity of consumer preference varies on the basis of human genotype. And that's something, when I first got into pigs, that was always the first thing that was thrown at me or, or the evidence that I was given that, or I don't say evidence, but some of the key talking points about boar taint was that not all humans could pick up on boar taint, that it was a genetic thing, that uh, I could be eating a pork chop and Kelly could be sitting across the table having a pork chop and I think it tastes great and she think it smells like a dead animal and it could be genetic. So this article is saying that there is a genetic element involved in this and I always thought it was about 50%, but, but this is saying, and it's painting with a broader brush, that 75% of consumers find meat from boars objectionable compared to, to barrows. So, so what do you think about that, Chuck, that you know, 75% of people find something objectionable about meat from a boar? Yeah, so <clears throat> I've, I've heard that, that same thing, and, I, and I'm with you. <clears throat> I'd always heard it was a little bit, a little bit smaller number. I'm, I was surprised to read that it was 75%. Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't know that I've ever been exposed to a to a, a piece of pork that had come from a sexually uh, mature male. So I, personally, I don't know if I'm if I'm uh, susceptible to it or not. But, you know, we go back to thinking about, you know, those customers that we have and 75 percent. I mean, you know, if you if you put a piece of meat out there that's got bortane on it, you know, three times out of four, somebody's going to find that objectionable. And for us, you know, from the business perspective, it's just not worth it. So, um, yeah, I, I have zero experience with it. I've never smelled boar taint. Don't know what it smells like. Don't know what it tastes like. 
Um, but it's just, for, again, for us, it's just not worth the risk. Yeah. So, so here's, here's kind of Troy's twist, twisted red tool house experiment, experimentation kind of makes me sound like Frankenstein here to some degree, but, um, so Cam and I, my youngest, we, we butchered and processed one of our boars on farm. It was, if those of you guys are listening, I've probably given updates about it, but it was Napoleon. He was a bit of a jerk. Uh, he was actually a late bloomer. So that's why we, we wanted to get him out of the breed line. So Napoleon was intact. He was probably about two years old. So he was, ex- you know, extremely virile. In fact, he was wearing out the other boars all the time because he wanted to prove his virility. And uh, so he was definitely mature. So all the hormones, all those things should have been rocking. He could, he and the other boars could pick up the sows and heat even down the valley for on our farm. So, so all the things that are supposed to, you know, get boar taint rocking were rocking there because yeah, he was, he was there. So we process him, and that was just the easiest way for me to eliminate him from the breed line. I wasn't going to take him and pay to have a processor do it, just simply the fact if it was if it was indeed tainted, I didn't want to spend all that money processing something that was going to become dog food. So that's what we did. We processed him on farm with the idea that, well, if this has taint, then we will just use him for dog food. So after we skinned him out and eviscerated him, we had him hanging in the barn for a while uh, in, in the midwinter. Then uh, Kelly went down and, and sliced off a little bit of his um, uh, back fat and fried it up and, and was looking for the signs. And by looking, you know, was smelling for the signs of boar taint. Uh, she experienced no unpleasant odor. So Cam and I decided to go ahead and break him down completely. We made sausage. We did um, bacon. We did, uh, what did we do? We did some bratwurst. We did all that kind of stuff. And so over the course, obviously I can't sell that because I processed it on farm. And, and, and as Chuck said, I wouldn't take that risk. But as friends and family have hung out and some of my good close friends, we go, hey, man, try some of this sausage. I made it myself and tell me what you think. So that was my, my test. I didn't tell them that, hey, this was an intact male. There's a chance it's going to smell real funky. You know, I wasn't going to say that, right? I wanted them to give me feedback because they were their close friends. I would assume they'd be honest with me and say, hey, man. You know, that pork I get from you is normally good, but this this sausage you gave me, you know, smelled like a dead cat. So I didn't get any of that. So either I'm in, I happen to have all my friends that are in that 25% that can't pick up on that or 50% if you follow the old, um, the old numbers that I was always introduced to, or Napoleon didn't have taint. So, so what do you think about that? Chuck? From your perspective, how would you try to explain that? You know, I wonder if it has something to do. I wonder if it's breed specific. Yeah. Um, you, know, you know, are some breeds more susceptible than others? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know how to explain that. that yeah. That's that's real interesting because you would have thought that if, if you had some taint somewhere, somewhere along the way, someone would have said, hey, man, uh, where did you get this nasty stuff at? Sure, you didn't grow this. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that's interesting. And again, I wonder if it's... I wonder if it's diet related. Um, you know, yep. you, you guys are, you guys are pasturing these pigs, you're raising them in the woods. They're not, a, it's not a CAFO pig. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that animal's out in a, in a much more uh, natural environment. So does that have something to do with it? You know, I, w- I would imagine that the, um, that the document that you're referencing and, and I've read that I'm wondering if, you know, is that more specific to a CAFO animal as opposed to a pasture raised animal? Yeah, I, I believe so. I, I, I definitely think this document, it, if it's taking pastured pigs into consideration, it, it never mentions it throughout the document. It, it, everything I read makes it sound like this is definitely you know high production density density stocked um, pig operation. But you, you you bring up a good point, and 
I don't know if Walt Jeffries listens to the podcast. We've had him on before, but he has some really good blog articles that he's written about boar taint. And his argument would be, yes, it is breed and feed that you can breed out boar taint and you can possibly even feed out boar taint. Now, now we use a conventional feed. I don't have access to non-GMO or, or organic or anything like that. So I, I literally just use a conventional uh, pig feed. So, so my feed is, is what I would assume is what most CAFOs would be using. But as Chuck pointed out, my pigs have access to pasture. They have access to great forage here in the woods. So all the mass that's coming on right now. Um, so they get more of an eclectic diet. But my breed is also, you know, mine are um, large blacks. So they're more of a heritage breed. And I, and I think you're right, Chuck, that when we look at CAFOs and we just think of the, the standard pink pig that's raised on concrete, that there's probably... We know there's not a lot of genetic variation in that, right? So there, there could be something there that, whether it's hybrid vigor or whether it's some more of these old heritage lines, that boar taint may not be an issue simply because of the breed line. Yeah, and you know, with keeping that breed line so closed on on those uh, on those uh, CAFO pigs, you know, is that something that 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 breed is perpetuating because it's not being uh, it's not having any kind of um, genetic diversity introduced into the breed line. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I honestly don't know that I ever, cause you know, my, my grandparents, great grandparents, you know, a lot of my family raised, uh, raised pigs over the years. I don't ever remember anyone talking about boar taint and they would from time to time slaughter a boar. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, hang the meat, you know, in the smokehouse, can the sausage, you know, do, do all the regular stuff and just treat it like it was a, you know, like it was a, like it was a female or a, or a barrow. Yeah, um, I don't remember anyone ever talking about uh, uh, boar taint or having a having pit pork that had a bad taste to it. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, being born and raised in Appalachia and having family that had been involved in, in raising hogs and ever. And I remember I had a great uncle that uh, my dad would always tell this story that he would go around town and get the old um, get all the restaurant scraps. Not that I'm condoning this, but but back in that day, he get all the restaurant scraps and he'd have this slop truck. And my dad would say that truck mm -hmm. smelled like a rolling death, but he'd, he'd come in with that truck and he had a big old dumpster and he could dump that dump truck into that dumpster. And he'd, he'd have my dad, my dad was a teenager time, get a fire going underneath that dumpster and boil all that slop, you know, obviously to get the pathogens out of it. And then you just had to go over there and you had to crack open the door on the side of the dumpster and just let all that come out into the trough and the, and the pigs would just go after it. Dad said, that was the most horrible job in the world. He said, I hated pigs after that. And, um, but yeah, even, even with a diet like that, that there was never a discussion that I understood that, that there was a taint issue when it came to the boars. Yeah, I, I think it's, I think you're right. I think it's a combination of, you know, breed, feed, how the animal's raised, um, you know, what it's subjected to, um, you know, genetic diversity in there. Um, yeah, I think all those things certainly, certainly combine to make a difference. Yeah, so so we've kind of we've kind of discussed an argument for for maybe not even messing with with uh, castration, but getting back to Chuck's original point, if you're doing any type of production where you are trying to represent your farm as a business, if you're trying to generate revenue from that, it's just too great a risk to lose. Uh, like I said, it's, as Chuck said, it's tough to get your reputation back once it's tarnished with 
with a bad product. So I think even if you think, well, I've, I've really bred this out, there's no chance I'm going to have that. Man, if you put all this time and money and effort into building a customer base, I, I would recommend not 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 challenging that or not testing that and, and having the you're taking the risk of losing it. And of course, we also mentioned some other benefits of, of castration as well. Okay, yeah, sure. and one oh, other thing, I, yeah. I think if you I think if you do have a boar and you you know you've, he's kind of at the end of his service life, maybe that's a good opportunity to do that on farm process and then get you know get some experience in doing that kind of thing. I know you know lots of Sonder would love to process a pig here on farm. We don't because we have to be inspected and because we sell to the public and that kind of thing. But you know if you do have a a, a boar that's you know he's he's at the end of his service life, maybe that's a good animal for you to process on farm and consume for yourself if if there's no issue with it. Yeah. Well, I tell it, tell her to pick one out this November. We'll come down and help, because yeah. I, I actually enjoyed it. Um, it it was a lot of work, and, and <laughs> we actually did a video of this. But here's one thing I'll recommend if you do it when you've got it hanging in the barn, letting it kind of cure and dry out, and you think you're man enough mm-hmm. to have your son cut one side of the uh, halved pig free so you can toss it over your shoulder, take it to the processing table, and then <laughs> as soon as he cuts the string loose, you realize. This was a two and a half year old boar. This is probably not going to be market weight. Yeah, that about killed me. <laughs> I think I heard every vertebrae in my back just compress as that thing landed across my shoulder. I was like, holy moly, that's heavy. Oh, man. But, oh, man. But yeah, yeah. No, that I, I do. I, there ain't nothing like a good old fashioned hog killing. And that's, you know, that's not to sound inhumane, but there's just something neat about old school ways of mm-hmm. of doing stuff like that on the farm. So, yeah, you, if Sandra wants to do it and she wants help, you let us know. We'll, we'll come down there and we'll we'll help cut one up. Gladly. And, you know, it beats taking that animal to run, run it through a sale barn and getting 50 bucks for it. Exactly. I mean, at least you've got, you know, you know, you've got some maybe some usable product there that you can enjoy yourself. Exactly. And and that's the thing. I, you know, we, we talk about this all the time. You, know, you you give you give your animals the best life possible. They have one bad day. And, and I, I feel like I almost owe it to my pig that mm-hmm. if I'm done with him, I don't want to just put him on a trailer and I don't know where you're going or what's going to happen to you. Good luck. It's like, I almost want to say, well, you started here. I want you to end here. And you know, to Absolutely. close the loop is, is you, you know, the last, last bit of service you get to do is you get to feed our family. So. Absolutely. Yeah. No okay. doubt. Okay. So let's, let's, let's shift gears here. So let's go over. So we've, we've, I think we've convinced our audience maybe if they've never castrated, say, okay, I got to castrate or I've had people help me castrate. Now it's time to do it in my own. But let's also talk about, let's not be fear mongering here, but let's talk about the complications that can, can occur with castration. And then I'll, I want to get, you kind of swing the gate full around and, and let's talk about the humane issues that are coming up when it comes to traditional castration process first. So, so first of all, Chuck, let's start here. So what are, and we kind of mentioned some of these already, but what are the concerns, the potential complications with castrating on farm? Yeah. So there are a couple of things that you want to watch out for. Number one is bleeding. Um, once you, once you do the castration, you put that animal back over in the weaning pen or put it back with its mom or whatever, whatever the, uh, the procedure that you're following there. You want to watch that animal you know, for, for a little while just to make sure, you know, 15, 20 minutes, just to make sure you don't have any excessive bleeding. If you do, you're going to need to catch that animal up and, and, and control that. So bleeding is one thing. Second, uh, you want to watch out for any signs of infection. So around the incision sites, you're going to look for any redness, swelling, any drainage of any nasty, green, goopy-looking stuff. Um, 
if you can get close enough to it or some of that drainage is on the ground, does it have a foul odor? If you've got something like that, then you probably have, you probably got a, you know, a, a surgical site infection there and you're going to have to treat that with either some antibiotics or some topical medication or something like that. I, you know, you'd want to refer to your, uh, to your local vet for that. Um, missing the testicle. Um, you know, we've always been really, really careful to make sure that uh, we, uh, we got both testicles, but uh, you know, I bought a pig one time. Uh, a piglet uh, bought it specifically to use as a boar uh, got it home got to looking at that thing and he wasn't packing a full wallet he yeah. only had a he was only halfway there so you know make sure if you're going to do castration that you're getting both of those testicles because you know a pig can still be um can still be virile and serviceable uh with only with only one so if you're going to do castration make sure that you get both of them yeah. Um, you know, and then you want to just just watch the animal in general after the after the procedure done. And what we found typically, man, for after about 24, 36 hours, you can't tell that anything's happened to that piglet unless you're looking at its hind side. Right. Um, so just just good just good farm management, good husbandry practices, making sure that that animal's cared for and you're looking for any untoward effects. Yeah, I agree. I think I think observation is key and being able to head off uh, any massive complications. You know, we talked about hernia. And uh, you know, those are the type of things that, you know, if you if you discover one that's got a really bad hernia, then that's that's mostly going to be a cull pig. Um, but but just looking and, and observing that piglet after you've done um, the, the process. And I agree with you. It seems like, you know, two, three hours later, you toss them back in there and they're just running around having a good old time. And it seems like you know, might have scabbed over and <clears throat> and you know, and in three days you've got, you've got really nice, well-developed scabs and, and uh, the scar tissue is, is already in place and, and they're not slowing down. It's like nothing's happened. And that's, you know, <clears throat> excuse me. And that's again, another reason it's just, just my own justification, in my head, I think, but it just seems like, you know, the younger, you know, it's like getting circumcised. Would you want to get circumcised at day eight or would you rather wait to about two years old to get circumcised? <laughs> so it seems like it, you know, the younger it happens, it seems like they can get over it quicker, but that maybe that's just yeah. my own you know, rationale. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so there's things to look out for. And, and if it's one of those things that if you're going to do castration for the first time, I really recommend it. Yeah, while YouTube, I love YouTube. You know, Chuck and I both have YouTube channels. You can, I, I, I've got a video of castration. Chuck, you probably have a video out there on castration, don't you? I do. I actually, I, I went to uh, when I was getting ready for the podcast episode. I went to uh, googling Google piglet castration, and uh, my video pops up. So very good. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's trending on the on the Google search. But yeah, we've got a we've got a video. But uh, you know, and I think I know where you're going with your comment. Um, if you're going to do this for the first time, I really would recommend uh, a, a mentor or yes. someone that has experience to come over and help you Absolutely. or go help them. Um, actually, the video that that's up, a good friend of ours um, reached out to me. He'd watched the he'd watched our YouTube channel. We weren't friends at the time. And he figured out that we were about 20 minutes away. And he said, hey, could I hire you to come over and castrate my piglets for me? I've never done that. I have no experience. And so I said, sure, can we video it? And he's like, yeah, no problem. So we went over, castrated for him. And then ever since then, he's been off and running and, and does his own thing. Yeah. But yeah, first time out, yeah, I would I would recommend a mentor going and helping someone or having somebody come over and help you and show you how to do it. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah, it's one of those things that you can watch our videos and they'll probably give you some good insight. Hopefully they give you some good insight and you can learn something from them. But there's just something about 
hands-on with somebody over your shoulder or are you actually helping and hold as you watch it be done and and usually in those situations if you're going to go help somebody they they usually have more than one pig to castrate so you may get to the point where on the fifth or sixth or the 20th pig maybe they're ready to hand the knife to you and you can give it a go so that's to me that's the best way to uh, to learn is to be that that hands-on yep absolutely Okay, so let's let's go back over to this American Veterinarian Medical Association discussion. So again, it's the welfare implication of swine castration. So this idea that is this an unnecessary stress for the piglet? Is this causing a lot of pain? Is this something that needs to be done better? As <clears throat> as good representatives, as good stewards of God's creation, should we be putting our piglets through this type of pain? Now this. Yeah, this document is just taking a pure medical approach to this. So, so they're talking about some of the ramifications or some of the issues with surgical castration. Do these piglets indeed feel pain? Yes, in their study, they have. They do because of is because of all of these you know, signs they see: the squealing, the heart rate, all those type of things. A certain amount of cortisol that builds up. This document gets into all of those type of things and discusses that castration is indeed surgical castration is indeed painful. So we've talked about complications things. So so what's the article's options here? So the the first two they get into are are anesthesia, and that's general and local anesthesia. So I know all of you guys that raise pigs on pasture, you know, you've got some some nitrous oxide sitting over in the corner of the barn, or you've got you've got all kinds of options when it comes to general anesthesia. So all you do is you take your piglet, you put the little mask on it, and and you you've got it on the table there, and you wait for it to get knocked out, and then you go ahead and castrate it. Chuck, I, I didn't see your nitrous setup there. How how big of a setup do you have for nitrous? We we had that uh, we had that next to the snipe uh, uh, nest up here in the woods that's where <laughs> right. I keep that. Uh, exactly. so, yeah, that's where mine is. Sorry, I, sh- I should have brought that out and showed that to you. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this article even recognizes that on, it says right here, on-farm use of anesthesia is rare due to the range of economic, logistical, and safety issues. Yeah, I don't, I mean, it's not like I can go to, uh, I, I can I can get on Google and Google how to how to, to be an anesthesiologist and learn that in a couple of days and, and be, be able to knock out anything, much less, you know, a, a, a decent-sized mammal. So, Anesthesia is nothing to play around with. You you can kill that pig faster than you can uh, than you can blink in an eye if you're giving it general anesthesia and you don't know how to dose it properly. <clears throat> so so that that's one of those things where, as Chuck mentioned, it, if you're going to use general anesthesia, you're going to have to have help, right? You're going to have to have a professional come in and and you know, a veterinarian in our neck of the woods. I don't have any veterinarians that do anything with pigs, so I don't know that I'd be able to find one that says, "Yeah, I can come give your pig general anesthesia." Um, now, again, it's not necessarily inhalants. There are some injectable uh, anesthesias <clears throat> that, that could be given. But there again, you know, it, it's it's the issues with um, not only handling that specific uh, uh, anesthesia, but then the dosing of it. Um, yeah, you know, when it's time to to give a pig a shot, you know, that's not necessarily an easiest thing to do. Would you agree, Chuck? Absolutely. And, you know, if you're going to use some kind of uh, IV anesthetic or, or intramuscular anesthetic on that animal, it, it takes time for that to take effect. Yeah. You know, it's not like you give that it's not like you give that animal a shot and then instantly it's it's asleep or it's uh, groggy or drowsy. It, it takes time for that medication to work. And, you know, maybe that works if you've you know, if you've got, uh, you know, your small homestead and you've 
two or three pigs and uh, you know you've got a litter of maybe you know three or four males and you've got half a day to do to to work with that but you know again we're we're doing sometimes 20 at a time we just don't have you know two days to to work through all of it yeah so it's a for us it's a time factor yeah absolutely absolutely and there's just you know there's for every complication or or issue associated with castrating, um, you're just going to you're just going to amplify that by trying to incorporate anesthesia. Um, you know, the the article also talks about local anesthesia, so um, you know, using a local anesthetic like lidocaine. So again, you're going to have to wait and see, and and it's not like the pig can tell you when you you, you touch it on the testicles. Can you feel that? Can you feel that? So <laughs> it's just one of those things that you know, the input's going to be whatever the input is, and and the response from that, it, you, it's going to be a guessing game as well. But uh, the the expense, the fear of improper uh, application, and then of course the time constraints. As as Chuck said, if you've got fifteen to twenty pigs and you're you're waiting for all of them to respond to anesthesia, then you know that's more than a day's worth of work. That's that's going to be a while. Uh, another option. Okay. I'm sorry. Good. Yeah, and I, and I think you know with some of the new <clears throat> some of the new rules about um, over the counter being able to obtain um, animal medications over the counter, I think that may become even more difficult yeah. going in the future. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think what we're looking at is probably the biggest issue is is economic because if we've got to have yeah. a veterinarian out here to sedate twenty piglets, then you know that that's a bill that's in the thousands and thousands of dollars. So, mm-hmm. you know, the cost of your pork just went up exponentially, which may price you completely yeah. out of the market in the first place. You know, or, or kill so yep. much of your profit margin it's not worth doing. Um, oh yeah. Analgesics are another thing that they talk about. So <clears throat> so some oral medication. Um uh, but there again, you know, given a a pill you know, trying to give oral medication to a piglet is 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 interesting it's challenging we'll just say that um so so other things i, th- I thought this was interesting and we, we've talked about breed selection already and this article actually gets down to this at the end so we'll save that for the last but but it's interesting in looking at uh, i'm just going to read alternatives here so the alternative section says surgical castration has not been performed for many years in some countries including the united kingdom ireland new zealand and australia in most cases, the approach to minimizing boar taint was slaughter of pigs before puberty. So that's kind of the approach is they're going to move up the processing date of the pig. So Chuck, shoot, shoot holes in that. What's the pros and cons of doing that? If you had to move up your processing dates on your piglets, on your pigs? Yes. So um, a couple of things that you're going to run into there. Number one, you're going to have a, a, a reduction in the amount of product that you have. Um, you know, before those pigs reach puberty, I mean, they're, they're going to be pretty small and pretty lean. So mm-hmm. you're going to end up with maybe some lean pork. <clears throat> you may have some sauces that's kind of dry, um, no belly or very minimal belly. So that's going to affect your, uh, affect your bacon uh, production. Um, and then you're going to have to be running through those animals. You're going to need more, uh, you're going to need more piglets faster uh, if you're processing those things that, you know, a, a male pig can can reproduce. What is it, Troy? Like about four months. Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty quick. Yeah. Um, so if you're you know if you're going to do it before puberty, I mean, you're going to have to you're going to have to increase your production of animals to maintain the same level of production in terms of the amount of product. Uh, you're going to have to have more animals because they're just they're going to be smaller. Your, yeah. your yield is going to be much much less. Yeah, and and I agree. It yields less, and like you said, the quality is going to decline. I mean, nobody. 
Nobody wants a bony and pork chop that's the size of an Oreo. Yeah, it's just it's just yeah. not, it's just not going to it's not going to go over well. And, and yeah, I, no, not at all. And I think that that rubs against completely what we're trying to do with with pastured pigs. You know, it's kind of the slow food movement. So, in my sense, where I, where I'm doing the large blacks, you know, they're finishing out about eight to nine months. So they're well, um, you know. Past puberty, they are they are in reproductive swing big time by then, and that's when I'm seeing, you know, the maximum production there. I'm getting the best yield. I got a nice uh, fat cap, all that type of stuff. So as we deal more with these heritage breeds or or utilize some of our hybrid vigor here, then then that rubs against this. So if you're looking at these CAFOs where they've got uh, this you know, genetic closed area, and they're going to be able to produce a pig super fast that gains weight super fast, and it's it, it, it's that type of production pig that may work, but we all know that you know the, the quality of CAFO pork we feel is uh, subpar to to what we experience. So I, I don't think that's really an option for a pastured pig operation to say, well, let's just process before they become sexually mature. Yeah, um, you know, again, I think the just from the the amount of product standpoint, you, you know, it's going to take a whole lot of um, four month old piglets to get you. Uh, a significant amount of sausage, uh, you know, and if you, if you've got a, you know, if you've got a, a good size market and you're burning through a lot of sausage, I mean, it's, it's going to take a lot of animals to get there. And then, you know, you've got to have more, more sows for breeding. I mean, it's just, it, it's a cascading effect. I mean, yeah. the worse it gets, the worse it gets. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, and, and one thing that um, I, I did skip over here, but I, I do want to, and I don't know anything about this, Chuck, maybe you, you do, but again, this article is 10 years old, but talking about this opportunity of immunocastration. So, so reading this article, there's a little, little paragraph here about it, but it's basically injecting of a protein compound uh, that works like an immunization to induce antibody production against gonadotropin-releasing hormone. The GNRH actually did a lab experiment in college on gonadotropin tropin releasing hormones effects on the pituitary gland in rats but anyway something that i do know something about actually so uh, but but this process requires two injections so you actually basically what you're doing is you're giving your your boar a shot eight to eleven weeks prior to slaughter and then the second one four weeks prior to slaughter so it's almost like okay we're going to try to head off boar taint by immunizing our boar eight to eleven weeks prior to slaughter for the first dose and then booster, whatever you want to call it, at the four-week period. And what's going to happen is that protein is going to work against the GnRH to actually break it down, so that hormone does not kick in and cause the um, uh, the steroids, these gonadal steroids, to 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 really you know, ramp up. Um, so it's 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 kind of interesting. It's it's obviously using immunization to head off boar taint. So. I don't know, Chuck, for, from a knee-jerk reaction, what would your knee-jerk to that be, uh, the pros and cons? Yeah so, yeah, so my very first thought about that is, you know, part of the reason that customers come to us is because we don't use antibiotics and hormones and those kinds of things on our animals. I mean, we, are, we try our best to not give those animals anything that we don't just have to. Yes, we do worm, but that's, you know, that's a health issue. And if an animal gets sick, yeah, we'll treat it. But other than that, we don't use anything. And I'm just, you know, the first reaction that I have is, is that going against the grain yeah. of what we're trying to do uh, in this pastured pig space and raising these animals in more of a sustainable way? So that that's the first thought that I have on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. 
I agree that I, I, I do. I, I think that rubs against what we're trying to do with with more of a natural product. And again, all we're doing here with immunocastration is just avoiding bortane. We're still not we're still not dealing with birth control in this situation. We're still not dealing yeah. with uh, 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 unwanted pregnancies because you know, you're just looking at that 11 week window prior to to uh, processing. So you still have that opportunity and just. To me, that's another thing, man. You're looking at management, and you know if you're talking one or two boars, okay, maybe that's a little bit easier to deal with. But if you're looking at, uh, if you farrow on farm, then you're going to have a pretty good run of uh, boars going going on there on farm. So it, it's one of those things that to, the cost associated with it, the management, the uh, the proper dosing. I mean, these are injections, so all the complications that go along with that. So that's just going to add more cost and more time to your process rub against what like what Chuck said rub against the type of products we're looking to produce and then not give you the full benefit of a castration anyway when it comes to uh, aggressive behavior and birth control so I, but I'm looking here this this uh, immunocastration under FDA approved is a product called Improvest and it's also labeled as Improvac and it says here again 10 year old document that it's used in more than 60 countries um, so it, it is it is a a commonly used process, I guess, in, in CAFOs. I've never heard of anyone using it on a pasture operation, but that is that is something that's out there. So interesting yeah, and you know, quite and quite frankly, real quick, some of the some of the most passionate comments uh, that I've had on some of my castration videos uh, have been related to um, analgesia, analgesia, anesthesia, and this type of thing. Um, and typically those comments come from folks that are not, um, in the United States. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, from stuff that I've read and even comments, I agree with you. I've had some comments as well that, that they've, uh, many, many countries feel we're in the dark ages that we are still, uh, being inhumane towards our, towards our herd. And the fact that we're processing without any type of processing that we're castrating without any type of anesthesia or pain management. And, uh, that's, that we've got to get with the times. So it, it is an issue that I think is going to, it's going to just keep coming around. So at some point, you know, the government's here to save us, right? So at some point I think the government's going to step in and say, okay, we have to address this and there's going to be a lobby one direction or the other. But it's something we as pastured pig farmers got to keep on our radar because it may be something at some point we have to address. Now, I do want to say there, there were other couple things that they said as alternatives. And one of them was, of course, selection is that bortane has a genetic component and may be reduced through breeding. It's just a, that's the only line item they have in this entire paragraph or entire article when it comes to what uh, Chuck and I have already talked about, that maybe there is an opportunity to breed it out. And then another option they say is, sperm selection um but it says although current technology is not efficient enough for commercial use it might be further developed to allow the production of only female piglets so that would be goodness that could be some uh you know some in utero work it could be even some in vitro work where you're actually selecting genetically you're genetically modifying to say hey we're only producing female litter and oh my goodness yeah that that opens a whole nother can of worms when it comes to you know, you know, a traditionally raised uh, slow food movement. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, are, are you ready to, yeah. are you ready to work with genetically modified pigs, Chuck? No, I, I, we, we try to avoid GMOs as much as we can. I don't think that we <laughs> want to try to specifically introduce that into something that we're doing. So real quick, Troy, have you, have you heard of anyone that's doing any uh, um, breeding um, 
trials with with trying to breed this out? I, I've not read or heard of anybody that's doing that. I, I think I think Walt Jeffries up in um, um, oh my goodness Vermont Sugar Mountain Farms. Mm-hmm. I think he has probably the most comprehensive article and um, data that he has collected on his own farm when it comes to eliminating bortate. He he does not castrate at all. And he does sell his uh, his his uh, pork to to people. So uh, he he is a firm believer that through feed and um, the environment that the pigs are raised in and the breed that he uses, uh, that he has managed to breed out bortain one hundred percent. Well, I don't know that he would say one hundred percent, but um, he is extremely confident that bortain is not an issue in his production. So, and I know there's others that would say the same. So I, I don't know. Like, like I said, I, I get to the point where I'm with you, Chuck. I just don't, I don't have the confidence, nor do I want to risk the customer base in not trying yeah. it. And until, until somebody from the government tells me you have to do this, then I will continue to castrate the the way that I do. I mean, there's a chance if there's a spray on um, local anesthesia that's over the counter that's you know can I can spray it on like the iodine and it becomes numbing, uh, you know, a lidocaine that's that effective and that quick, then then yeah, I'd give that a shot. That's that's not a problem at all. But um, I, I'm just not in a situation where I can afford, nor can I even have the options of getting a veterinarian involved to do some more of these complicated yeah. processes. Yeah. <clears throat> Expensive and time consuming. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It, it really isn't. It? And it's one of those things that, you know, when you get right down to it, we, I mean, we, we don't just farm for money, but money is what allows us to continue to farm. Right. So, <laughs> so we, yeah. do it, we do it for the love of the animals. We do it because we love being outside and all the things that go along with that. But you know, you're not out there raising and processing 60 pigs uh, a year just because it's fun to do. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things that you you have to have a profit from it to be able to continue doing what you're doing. So, so we have to look at that. That has to be one of our our driving forces and and why we do what we do on pasture. So, I, I think the, some of these things are going to rub against that profit margin and, and and maybe make it cost ineffective to be able to continue to raise pigs if we're forced to do some of these things. Yeah, and you know what we're seeing in our area, there there is a, a a lot of folks that are looking for locally raised, ethically raised. Because you know, even take the castration piece out of it, you know, I still feel like what we're doing by raising these animals on pasture and, and allowing them to express, as Joel would say, the pigness of the pig. You know, I think we're still 150 percent ahead of a CAFO pig in the way those animals are being raised. And I think folks are becoming more and more aware of that. They appreciate what, you know, what we as farmers are trying to do. Um, and we're seeing folks that in our area, again, are really starting to vote with their food dollar uh, and making this a, a, a choice when they go to decide what they're going to feed their family. And, you know, if, if, if castration is uh, what, you know, what we're hinging that thing on, uh, you know, again, I, I'm like you, I think I'm going to, we're going to keep doing what we're doing until we're told we can't. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Well, Chuck, do you have any other parting comments on castration before we uh, wrap it up here? No, that the only thing I would say is that, uh, you know, for you guys out there that are, are castrating piglets, um, if your wife learns to do it, um, just be aware of that and uh, mind your P's and Q's <laughs> and uh, make sure there's not a, uh, a bucket beside your bed whenever you, whenever you go to sleep at night. Yeah, or sleep on your belly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. She starts looking at you kind of funny, then you know you're up to something. All right. So, yeah. <laughs> well, Chuck, if, if people want to find out more about you, where can they find you on all the interwebs? Uh, give a shout out to yeah. all your, your different sources there. Yeah. So we're, we're kind of everywhere. Um, SheratonParkFarms.com is our website. You can go over there and uh, find out a little bit more about us and what we're doing. Uh, we have uh, a pretty active Facebook page um sheraton park farms uh we're also on instagram we don't do a whole lot on instagram but we we do put some pictures up over there and then we uh we're pretty active on youtube we're doing a you know a video or a couple videos a week i think i looked the other day we're about 360 some now uh and so you can find out all about us over there yeah and and i gotta say if, if you guys that are listening i'm sure you probably already found his youtube channel now but if you haven't i strongly encourage you to do so because chuck has just a very He's got a knack for just being able to explain things very, very well. So you, you not only get to see what he's doing, but he explains why he does it. And it, it's really, really educational. I, I, I really appreciate the way he delivers uh, his content on YouTube. It's not just entertainment, it's it's learning. And and so if you're you're looking to see how somebody runs an operation that... Yeah, it, I guess it's not fair to say that you're a full-time farmer, Chuck, because you do have a day job and you do you do manage other stuff. But but your farm is not just a hobby farm. You guys are are pretty pretty good scale production. Is that fair to say? Yeah, we're like I said, we'll do sixty pigs this year. We'll process somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty to twenty-five cattle, fifteen hundred to seventeen hundred fifty chickens, uh, and about three hundred turkeys. So yeah, we and a couple <laughs> thousand dozen eggs. So yeah, we're. We're kind of past the hobby farm deal, but, yeah. uh, you know, we still, we still uh, try to do things as economically as we can and as smart as we can and following, uh, you know, traditional methods as much as we can. Very good. Very good. Yeah. So if you want to learn how Chuck has managed and Chuck and Sandra have worked to get to where they are, then, then check out his YouTube channel. Very informative there. Well, Chuck, brother, I appreciate you coming on the podcast again, man. It was a good conversation. I'm looking at our ticker here. We are an hour and 15, so I appreciate uh, you coming on, and, and I want to be sensitive to your time, so I'm going to let you go. But I appreciate everybody listening, and we hope to do more specific topics like this. So we'll we'll get into this more as we uh, move into the year. Chuck, I, I pray, you have you, a good, pray you have a good week, man. Take care. You do the same. Thanks, buddy. All right. We'll see you. Well, I really appreciate Chuck coming on the podcast. I thought that was a pretty good discussion. A lot of good input there from him and how he um, how he handles castration on his farm. And, and again, the, so many things to take away from that. But the one thing I really want you all to take away from is there's no one way to do a lot of the things we do on our farm. There's things that work for us. There's things that you just kind of get in the habit of doing. And but there's also it's also good to hear other ideas and other processes. So if you need to make an adjustment, then then at least uh, that information's out there. And I don't know if you guys picked up on it or not, but uh, you know Chuck is from the South. You may be wondering, listening. Okay, I'm not quite sure with that dialect where he's coming from, but Chuck is Southern. I know that may be shocking to some of you all, but <laughs> I give Chuck a hard time. We we like to we like to talk about the different draws we have being in. Being a West Virginian, we have our own, and of course, uh, the further south you go, the, the 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 more the dialect changes. But uh, be sure to check out Sheridan Park Farms if you haven't. Also, check out his uh, YouTube channel. Now, I'm going to try to remember from the time of ending the recording of this bumper to actually uploading this file to make sure I incorporate the link to that document we referenced, so you guys can see that. And I've even written myself a little note right here beside my computer. Um, if I didn't, Noah. Let me know, <laughs> and I'll make sure to get it posted there. But check that out. Uh, also, if you guys would like to 
specific, uh, specifically address topics. My goodness, I cannot talk this evening. If you would like to request specific topic discussions, then by all means, reach out to me, Troy at RedToolHouse.com, or if you're on the Pastor Pig Facebook group, just simply tag me and say, hey, how about this topic? And uh, we'll do that. And I'll try to find somebody to co-discuss that topic with. So it's not just me, you not just hear me rattling off for 45 minutes. And we'll do some of these deeper dives into the, uh, into the topics associated with what we do on Pasture with Our Pigs. Also coming up, I believe uh, we're going to, I'm going to try to start targeting some of the breed associations to uh, reach out to them and get them on the podcast to talk about their specific breed associations. So look forward to that. If you would happen to be a part of those associations or know who I need, whom I need to speak with, uh, by all means, drop me a line and let me know and I'll start bird dogging those uh, people to get uh, some discussion set up. And of course, as always, if you haven't been on the podcast and you want to just let us know about what you're doing with Pastured Pigs, I would love to have you on here and have you featured. Well, I pray everyone have a great week and enjoy. If you're, uh, if you're in temperate climates, I pray that you enjoy this beautiful fall that we've had already. It's, my goodness, it's been fantastic here the past couple of weeks. Um, although, I, and it's a whole other story, my trip to Montana last week uh, really got me jonesing for cold weather. So uh, Montana was absolutely gorgeous. But that's a whole nother discussion. Actually, that's going to be something that ends up on our YouTube channel as well. All right. I pray everyone take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.